This is a sermon from the Highlands Congregation of Park Church. We hope it helps you walk with the Lord and lead others to Christ. Learn more and find more resources at parkchurch.org. This morning's scripture reading is Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28 through verse 40. So that's Luke 19, verses 28 through 40. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Amanda. Good morning, Park Church. So good to see you. Uh, those of you who are joining us online, worshiping with us, we are glad you're here with us as well. My name is Chris. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Park, and today uh, is the beginning of what the church through history has referred to as either uh, Passion Week or Holy Week. Uh, and today itself is the day every year when we look at Jesus' final entry into Jerusalem and begin to prepare our hearts for what we're going to be remembering happened on Friday and then Sunday of Holy Week. So if you would, uh, keep your finger right there in that passage, Luke 19, keep it open. And we'll be getting into that in just a moment. But before we do that, let's pray together. Father, we, we want to thank you for this morning. We want to thank you that we are able to gather in this place and sing praises to you and pray to you as a family and to hear you speak to us through your word. And Lord, as we uh, remember the tragedy on Monday in Boulder, uh, we know that there are many, many people in our community that are hurting, that are grieving. Many who have lost loved ones and friends, co-workers, neighbors. So God, we ask for your peace to come. We ask that you would fill this city, this community with your grace, with your love. I pray that even through this tragedy, there would people be people who come to know you and know your love and know your grace in Christ. And now, God, as we open up your word, we ask that you would speak to us, give us ears to hear, 
what you have to say to us. God, we don't want to be the same people that we were when we walked in here. God, we want to be changed. We want to be transformed more into the image of your son. So spirit, would you do that through your word in our hearts? And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. I want to ask you a question. Can you remember uh, a time in your life where you wanted something so badly for a long time and after you actually got it, it wasn't anywhere near like what you thought it would be before you got it? Can anybody relate to that? Have you ever experienced that in your life? Um, That's happened to me so many times. Uh, in my life, one time I want to talk a little bit about here. One instance was when I was around nine or 10. So a long time ago, um, I, back in the day, loved GI Joe. Can anybody relate to that GI Joe? Anybody GI Joe folks? Okay. There's some people. Great. Um, and I, I loved all the action figures and all the paraphernalia that went with that, the the tanks and the boats and the planes and the motorcycles and, and all that stuff, you name it, I had it. And I especially love G.I. Joe comic books. And I remember one day reading through one of my comic books and I, and I saw an advertisement for a free boom box. Okay, now let's stop for a second. Uh, for those of you who didn't grow up in the 70s and 80s, which is most of you, um, a boom box was a huge stereo, basically, all right? Uh, you could put cassette tapes in it. Don't have time to unpack what that is, but cassette tapes. Uh, it also had a radio in it, and you could put it in the, in the cool thing to do with the boom box, of course, you've seen movies from the 80s, uh, is you put this on your shoulder and you walk around blasting your favorite music. You might bring it onto the school bus. I remember friends of mine doing that as well. The bigger, the better. So I was shocked as I'm reading uh, through this comic book and I saw an advertisement for a free boom box. Like my parents wouldn't buy me a boom box, but here was an opportunity to get a free one. And all you had to do was cut out the ad in the comic book and put it in an envelope, send it in, and they would ship you a boom box for free. Amazing, right? So I sent that in. I remember waiting and waiting and waiting for my boombox to arrive. Finally, the day came. I was so excited, but I should have known something was wrong when the box that it was put in was like this big. Okay, so I'm anticipating this huge boombox that I'm gonna be, you know, so proud to throw on my shoulder, walk down the street and blast and run DMC on, again, Google that if you need to. And yet the box was this small and I opened it up and it was like the size of a matchbox car, okay? And it was, but it, it looked just like a boombox, but I guess I missed something in the fine print that it was gonna be really, really small, all right? You can, and it did have a little, little dial on the top where you could spin it and get a little bit of like scratchy radio there, but that was pretty much it. I was so disappointed. It wasn't anything like what I anticipated it to be. Anybody ever experienced anything like that? Ever experienced that? Yeah. In the scripture passage for today, the Pharisees and the religious leaders were expecting something different as well. 
For, for hundreds of years, they'd been anticipating the day when the Messiah would arrive and make all the wrongs right. They were anticipating the time when the Messiah would arrive, fronting a massive army and, and finally overthrow their oppressors. At that time, it would have been the Roman Empire. And as Jesus approached Jerusalem, God in the flesh, God of very gods, right? The long-awaited Messiah had finally arrived and the Pharisees and the religious leaders missed him. That they couldn't see that all of the Old Testament prophecies of the coming king was actually being fulfilled in Jesus. Why? Why couldn't they see that? Why did they miss him? Primarily because he was so different from what they were anticipating. Back to the boombox analogy, right? They, they were anticipating a warrior. They were anticipating an extravagant king. They, they were longing for a, a violent military overthrow of their Roman oppressors. They were looking for someone big and powerful. And what they saw in Jesus was a simple and what they thought very often blaspheming teacher who wasn't bringing the kingdom of God the way they anticipated it, but rather he was talking about this kingdom that would be ushered in through his death and it made no sense to them. Look at verse 37, if you would, Luke 19. It says, as he was drawing near, right near the city of Jerusalem, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples. This is meaning more than just the 12. This is that huge throng of people, a multitude of people that have been following Jesus, listening to his teachings, hearing uh, or, or seeing his miracles. They began to rejoice. When I was younger, I missed this. I always thought the people throwing out the cloaks and the palm branches, I thought that was in Jerusalem. I thought that was Jerusalem welcoming him. That's not what's going on here. He's not yet at Jerusalem. This is the disciples who are doing this. Those who believe he is the king of kings. They began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king. Notice they call him the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And there they're quoting Psalm 118, which was considered a royal psalm uh, that had been sung over David as he entered Jerusalem, Solomon as he entered Jerusalem and other uh, of Israel's kings had heard that as they entered into the capital city. So here they're attributing to Jesus that he's the coming king, that he's the Messiah, the next in line. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Like, tell them to stop. Like, he, he is not who you're saying. You're not who they're saying you are. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Again, listen to that. If these people were silent, the very stones on the ground would cry out. You know it's a bad day when the rocks know more than you do, right? Like the rocks are the ones who know Jesus, who Jesus is 
and you have all these religious leaders who should have known, who should have seen all the signs and known, but they missed him. So again, why did they miss him? Why couldn't they see what the multitudes of disciples saw in him? Well, it's because again, what they thought the Messiah would be, uh, they had created a false view or a false belief of what the Messiah would be like when he arrived. And they just could not accept Jesus, the true king, because they were looking for the wrong kind of king. So in what ways was Jesus, who again, the true king, the Messiah, in what ways was he different from what they were expecting? First, if you wanna write this down, feel free. He entered Jerusalem humbly. Notice in the passage how Jesus came into Jerusalem. He came in humbly. Look at, again, verse 28. Luke 19, 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat untie it and bring it here Uh, which by the way you'll see Jesus is arranging this so that he is the fulfillment of the prophecy in Zechariah 9 9 uh, that said that that the king would enter in the Messiah would enter in on a colt of a donkey which is just just a young donkey No one has ever ridden, sat on it, and tie it, bring it here. 31, if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he told them, and as they were entering the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And he said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they they set Jesus on it. So here you see Jesus giving them a visual display, letting them know visually as a fulfillment of Zechariah 9, 9, that was written hundreds and hundreds of years before this event took place, that he was the true king, that he was the Messiah. He was who the multitudes of disciples had said he was. But the religious leaders were expecting pomp and circumstance. They, they were expecting a king riding in on a chariot. They were expecting a king covered in gold and jewels fronting a massive army prepared to overthrow the Roman Empire with violence and bloodshed. That's what they longed for. That's what they were looking for. That's what they had been waiting for for hundreds of years. But what they got was the son of a carpenter who in a few short days was gonna die the most vile death imaginable. Death on a cross. And in their minds, he couldn't possibly be the king. And if we're honest, we are no different today. Many of us, miss who Jesus really is because we don't want him to be who he truly is and who he proved himself to be by his resurrection from the dead on the third day, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the, the, the apostle Paul referred to Jesus this way in Philippians 2.10, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every knee shall bow. 
believers, unbelievers, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The New Testament scholar N.T. Wright put it this way, describes many of us, most of us at some point in our life, we, we want a religious leader, not a king. We want someone to save our souls, not to rule our world. So true. Or, or if we want a king, someone to take charge of our world, what we want is someone to implement the policies we already embrace, right? I want Jesus to be like me. I want Jesus to agree with me, just as Jesus' contemporaries did. So they, they couldn't receive him because of the way he entered. He came in humbly. Second, he, he arrived full of compassion. This is not what they were expecting of the Messiah. He, he arrived full of compassion. Look at verse 41, if you would. And when he drew near, again, coming to Jerusalem, he's not quite there yet. And when he drew near and saw the city, he what? What's it say? He wept. He wept over Jerusalem. This is the opposite of what the Pharisees were anticipating. They were expecting the Messiah to arrive full of strength and power, not in weakness, not with compassion, certainly not crying. So why was he weeping? Well, just keep reading. Look at verse 42. He wept over it and saying, would that you, even you, again, speaking to Jerusalem, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. In other words, my patience has run out now. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave, they, their enemies, they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. You did not realize that my arrival is God coming to you. And you've rejected me. And so devastation is coming. And that was actually literally fulfilled in history roughly 35 to 40 years after when Rome, the Roman Empire, finally once for all just destroyed Jerusalem, specifically the temple where he says there wouldn't be one stone on top of the other. That is literally what they did to the temple, which is why there is no temple in Jerusalem any longer. That happened back in A.D. 70. And this wasn't the first time that Jesus expressed his deep grief over Jerusalem. You might remember another passage in Luke's gospel, Luke 13, verses 34 and 35. We see Jesus brokenhearted again over the spiritual condition of Jerusalem. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. 
How often would I have gathered your children as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? Like, this is not the Messiah they were anticipating. He's saying, I would have gathered you like a mother hen gathers her chicks. All right, that, that's not what they were anticipating. That's not the kind of Messiah they expected. And you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's exactly what they're saying in Luke 19. And so I just want to just make sure we let's nuance this a little bit. This pronouncement of judgment over Jerusalem in Luke 19 was not some snap reaction by Jesus. He's not losing his temper because they were confused about who Jesus really was. It was based on centuries, centuries of God's people and their leaders not living into their calling. They're calling to be God's representatives in the world, to be the light of the world that would uh, draw the nations to God. And the final straw was the fact that God came back to Jerusalem. He was coming back to his temple, his temple, his home that he had built so that God could dwell among his people like he promised he would through the prophets. And they rejected him. See, what we see here, it really honestly is the end of God's patience. God is patient. God will take his time. But there is a place and there is a time where his patience does end. The apostle Peter talks about that, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. In the context there, there were people who were beginning to doubt whether or not Jesus was going to return whether or not Jesus was going to come back, even in the early church, whether or not he was going to really come back and make all things new. And so Peter's like, hey, don't, don't think that he's being slow here, right? Or not fulfilling his promise. Here's what's going on. But he is patient towards you. He's patient. He's not slow. He's not, not keeping his promise. He's patient, not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. He's patient and God had been patient. But Peter goes on to say in verse 10, right after that, but the day of the Lord will come. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. He, he is patient, but, but there's a time when his patience ends and that's what we see being illustrated here in this passage. So Jesus entered humbly. They were shocked by that. That didn't make sense. He arrived full of compassion. Definitely not how they thought the Messiah would arrive. And lastly, he came seeking justice. He came seeking justice. Now, you might be thinking, isn't that what the Pharisees and religious leaders were anticipating when the Messiah would arrive? Weren't they anticipating justice? Weren't they expecting God's justice to fall on the Roman Empire because of their oppressive rule over God's people? Absolutely. That is exactly what they thought was going to happen. But that's not the justice that Jesus initially came to deliver. 
Rome did eventually get their justice. <laughs> we know that because there is no such thing as the Roman Empire. It's gone. It's, it's wiped off the map, right? There is no Roman Empire. They received justice. But at, but at this time, the justice Jesus was delivering was focused on Jerusalem itself. And the religious leaders who had turned the temple into a scheme to make themselves rich. I wish I had time to get into that. It's crazy and disgusting what the religious leaders turned the temple into in that day to make themselves rich while they oppressed the poor and denied the marginalized and those who would be considered the other They denied them access to the temple that was intended by God to be a lighthouse for the world to be drawn to, to worship the one true God. Look with me, if you would, at verse 45. And he entered the temple. Okay, now finally he's actually in Jerusalem now. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold. We know from the other gospel accounts, this is the court of the Gentiles. They're selling and and, uh, exchanging money, saying to them, it is written, my house. This is why Jesus is so passionate about this. The temple was built for him, for God. He's saying, this is my house. It shall be a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of robbers. There he's quoting Isaiah 56, 3, the prophet. Uh, In reference to to this account, again, another quote, N.T. Wright says this. The temple is God's house. But if God is coming in person and finds the temple turned into a symbol of Israel's failure to be his people that there is only one possible result. In telling the story of Jesus, they, and the they there is referring to the gospel writers, Luke here, are consciously telling the story of how God came back to his people in judgment and mercy. Key, in judgment and mercy. The judgment being... Jesus cleansing the temple, which was symbolically displaying what was going to happen in another 40 years as Rome would actually destroy Jerusalem and the temple. But also mercy. Remember, this isn't the end of the story. Friday's coming, right? Sunday's coming. Mercy being what Jesus accomplished for his people at the cross by bearing our sin on himself and taking the judgment that we deserve because of our sin and then being raised again on the third day, victorious over Satan and sin and death. That's God's mercy. So yeah, he did come in judgment, but he also came in mercy. So how should we respond to this? Right? This, is, this is a lot, wow, that's, Jesus is amazing. But how should we respond to what we see here? Let me just give you a couple. One, be thankful. Just be thankful. Be a thankful people. Be thankful that the story doesn't end with Jesus announcing judgment. Amen? The story doesn't end with judgment. 
Be thankful that the story doesn't end on Friday with Jesus' dead body on the cross. That's not where the story ends either. Be thankful that Jesus completed the mission for which he came into the world through his death and resurrection. Be thankful that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Be thankful that he is currently ruling and reigning in heaven and through his church and will one day return to, to consummate that, that kingdom that he inaugurated in his first coming 2,000 years ago. Be thankful. Be thankful. This is why on Sunday we're going to have a holy party happening in here. We're thankful people. We're grateful for what Jesus has accomplished for us. And then... Second, maybe good response would be pursue Christ-likeness. Be like Jesus by God's grace. Let the mercy and grace of God and the indwelling work of the Spirit so impact you that your life more and more reflects the character and nature of Jesus. You see, I think a lot of us think, well, I'm a disciple of Jesus because I know a bunch of stuff in the Bible. Like I put my faith and trust in Christ, he saved me, he forgave me, and I know some things in the Bible. Listen, being a disciple is so much more than that. A disciple of Jesus is someone who has experienced the love and grace of God in Christ and is progressively growing in Christ-likeness the longer they are in relationship with him. Be like Jesus, based on how we see Jesus in this passage. He was humble, be humble. Remember, it's only by the grace of God that you're his disciple, right? He didn't look at you and go, man, I got to get them on my team. They're awesome. None of us are awesome. None of us are awesome compared to, the, to God as our standard. Be humble. Here's, here's a passage that will humble you, hopefully. humbles me. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Just listen. Let this like wash over you. For by grace you've been saved through faith. By grace you've been saved. And this is not your own doing. It's not my own doing. It's the gift of God. And it's not a result of works. It's not about me being religious or spiritual or having all my stuff together. That's not how I receive this grace. So that no one may boast. Nobody can boast. For we are his workmanship. His workmanship. Not our own. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance that we should do or we should walk in them. Be humble. Be humble. Be compassionate. Right? Jesus models compassion for us in this passage. Jesus wept over Jerusalem knowing what they were going to do to him at the end of the week. Knowing that he would be scourged and spit on and beaten, his beard ripped out, nailed to a cross. He wept for them. He didn't weep because of what was coming his way. He wept for what was coming their way. So here's a, a convicting question for all of us. When was the last time we wept over Denver? When was the last time we wept over our neighborhood? When was the last time we wept over whatever city you live in? Have you, have you ever 
Have you ever wept like this? Or, or do we simply just view our community for what we can get, what we can take, not what we can give? How long has it been since we realized that God has us in this place to be his ambassadors, to bring the good news of the gospel to people who desperately need it? Be compassionate. And then lastly, be like Jesus. Well, how? Be a person who pursues justice. It's exactly what Jesus was doing in this passage. Jesus' disciples are called to pursue justice in all areas of life for all people because that's what Jesus did. That's who God's people are, right? And and let me just, some people might, okay, what are we getting at? Look at this. Micah, just listen to the prophet Micah, Micah 6.8. It's clear. He has told you, oh man, what is good. God has told you what's good. God's told you how to live. God's told you what to pursue in life. Here it is. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? Right? Just like we saw Jesus. Why did Jesus come and pursue justice? Because that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And he's modeling that. That's who God is. He's a God of justice. He says, if you want to be my disciple, this is what you do. Do justice and to love kindness. You could say compassion. Love kindness. Love compassion. And walk humbly with your God. There's Jesus entering Jerusalem right there. Humble, compassionate, right? Seeking justice. So we pursue humility, we pursue living compassionately, we pursue justice in all areas of life. Listen, not to earn God's love and acceptance, but rather because we already have it in Jesus. Again, listen to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship. We are his work of art, that's what the word means. We are his work of art, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for a purpose. What does it say? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the way of life. Let's pray. Father God, we we are humbled by the fact that you love us. We are humbled by the fact that you willingly chose to send your son, Jesus, for us, to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And as we see him in this passage today, God, may it first just cause us to to love you more, love Christ more. And in response to that, be so grateful that we want to live out his life through ours by your grace, by the power of the Spirit, as we stumble and we fall and we fall short, we we rest in your grace. But God, may that not keep us from pursuing Christ-likeness. May that be the fuel and the energy that empowers us towards Christ-likeness. And may you receive glory 
and your people in the world receive joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. Heart Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. If you enjoyed this, make sure you share it with someone. We'd also love to hear from you on social media. Find us with at Part Church Denver. Lastly, more resources and info are available online at partchurch.org. Peace and love.